Welcome back to another episode of The Juice Cast. Today we'll be talking with Jess. Jess is a co-founder of C-Club, a network that is helping to build and invest in early stage crypto projects. In this episode, we dive into Jess's background and what excites him about this new phase of the internet. We discuss C-Club's initial vision and history, C-Club Ventures, a venture DAO backing early stage founders, and the sixth season of their Accelerator, which is focusing on crypto consumer apps. Jess tells us about his optimistic vision for the future of mainstream crypto adoption, how we'll get there, and the challenges ahead. We also touch on the event, a virtual demo day for C-Club's latest Accelerator cohort, which is happening on the 28th of September. Jess has a lot of valuable insights into where we're headed next as we build out the next wave of crypto products. So we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome, Jess. Welcome to the Juice Cast. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I am good. It's exciting to be on the Juice Cast. I actually didn't know it was called Juice Cast. I think coming in here, I was like, oh, the Juice Box podcast, cool. I like it. I'm here for it. So before we get into Seed Club and your background and all that stuff, uh, I have to ask. So your handle on Twitter is that tall guy. So like, how tall are we talking here, man? Like, uh, <laughs> how tall are you that this became your handle? Like, well, let's okay, get started. On. So, I mean, I'm, I'm reasonably, I'm six, seven, so reasonably tall, but okay. definitely not like the tallest guy, but you know, it was really early into Twitter back in the day. And, and if you were around in Twitter back in the day, there was these things called tweet ups. I don't know if you've ever heard of tweet ups. Some, some of the kids haven't heard of tweet ups mm-hmm. these days. It's yeah, like I a gotcha. IRL meeting of people who are into Twitter, which seems ridiculous right now. But <laughs> that was the thing. And I was super stoked on just you know, working in this new emerging space called social media. And mm. I wanted to be recognizable in the event. And I was always the tallest guy there. So that's where <laughs> that tall guy came up. And they're like, oh, you're that tall guy. This is really not all that interesting, but it's the reality <laughs> of it. So I think I'm tall enough to be able to carry that handle. But right. there's like that really, really tall. There's a bunch of them out there that I'm sure are probably taller than me. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just always a good question. Anytime someone has either a handle or a pseudonym or some name that they go by, I always like to know kind of where it came from. Well, so I had this yeah. moment of like, should I change it back then? And then I was like, no, this is kind of weird. The internet's weird. I should lean into being weird. Let's let's go with it. So why don't we start with like a quick background, like what you're doing before you got involved with crypto and like how you fell down the rabbit hole. Good old rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think like the, the through line is just an infatuation with understanding how networks were going to change everything. My very first business was a, a gardening company. It's how I paid for school. And I just remembered I had a fax machine. I had ads in newspapers. I was dropping off. Door, and then all of a sudden I was introduced to this thing called Google. And that blew my mind. And then social media emerged and that blew my mind. And you started to see how these new digital tools were truly disrupting like business and the economy and our way of relating to the world um, pretty drastically. So I figured like, that's probably the future. Let me pay close attention to it. So I've worked in everything from the financial services sector to music to early YouTube producers, just sort of really in on the strategy and execution of how to kind of take advantage of, of these new networks and build new businesses. So I was sort of in one of those cycles doing that when a friend of me of mine messaged me saying, hey, have you heard of tokens? And I had heard of tokens before. I was sort of infatuated with this idea of DAOs back in 2016 around the, the original DAO. Wow. Okay. And that's why I bought my first Ethereum. And I just wasn't 
technically capable of actually figuring out what the hell to actually do with that ETH. How do I put it into the DAO? So luckily I, <laughs> right. I didn't. I kind of put it aside. And then early 2017, there was just this, you know, resurgence of of excitement around the space. And and it was really starting to be framed up as this tokens as, as a way of distributing ownership and networks. I'd felt the the pain of investing a ton of money and time into building out things in other walled gardens and seeing how that sort of organic reach was taken away and replaced by sort of the advertising complex that is Facebook and Twitter and YouTube today. And I was like, oh, this is kind of going to be a shitty world if two or three companies own our entire communication stack. And so for me, crypto was sort of a, an optimistic technology that uh, might actually distribute value back to the people who are contributing value seeing you know the the equity value of these social media networks just explode and you know i think seeing tokens as a mechanism for maybe distributing some of that value or, or value like that in some way was just infatuating so i think when you come into a space and, and crypto is actually very bad for this you sort of have like these concentric circles and at the middle are people actually doing cool and interesting things and at the edges that are the loud people talking about the thing that's kind of maybe passed already but we just hadn't quite realized it. And so I was new getting into the space. I was just trying to do whatever I could to work in this. I, I sort of felt like it either needed to be an all in or put it on the shelf and, and let's see how it figures itself out over the next five years. And apparently I, w- I went all in. I worked on an early security token issuance that's out of Switzerland. So it was like, how do we actually do a, a legal token, which was a very interesting and, and costly. And I'm sure the lawyers <laughs> did very well experience. Um, but yeah, yeah, good for the lawyers. Yeah, yeah very, very good for the lawyers. And uh, then, then through the bear market, worked on a, a number of projects up until I think September, October of 2020, uh, when we launched C Club. Okay, so yeah, why don't we just jump right into to C Club? So for anyone listening who isn't already familiar, what is C Club and how did it get started? So C Club is a network. Um, and we run accelerators and a bunch of other community focused uh, experiences. Uh, the core is our accelerator. So we are structured as a DAO. We, and along with our community, sort of source and select and support teams who are building hopefully the next big consumer crypto project. It's founding that the sort of meta was around social tokens. And there was a lot of, you know, we sort of saw new tools start to emerge that would allow folks who are like myself, incapable of actually putting their ETH into the DAO to actually do interesting things in crypto. So, you know, Uniswap and Roll, the ability to mint tokens and, and you know, the ability to gate access to chats, all this sort of stuff, or these fun new primitives that creators were experimenting with as a way of sort of, well, hopefully building something new. And so we were really excited about this. I think this idea of social capital being valuable is, I think, undeniable at this point. And, and our hope was to find ways to distribute that value or to unlock that value. And I think that an honest take at that moment was one where we said, well, this is interesting, but we have no clue what the exact right thing to go do is. And so this idea of working sort of as an accelerator incubator, I think we've used those terms interchangeably early on as a way of sort of getting into the trenches with builders who had an insight or inspiration in their own way or pushing at their own edges. And for us to be useful, but also, you know, learn from, from that. And so C Club sort of emerged from that. We've currently on our sixth batch right now. We've had a big focus on, I guess, the cultural and, and creative capital, social capital. You know, we've seen that sort of emerge from social tokens and then NFTs and DAOs and sort of are, are focused on consumer crypto right now, which we think is like the bundling of all those interesting things up into a bit of a meta category that we think has a unique opportunity in the space right now is a ton of infrastructure investment has happened. And now we're in this phase where builders are putting them together in new and interesting ways to, at the very least, push the space forward, but hopefully build some big, valuable, meaningful companies. 
Yeah. So there's like the accelerator, which is focusing on like consumer apps and helping them become successful. And then there's also the C Club Ventures. Could you tell us about these two wings of C Club? Sure. I think, you know, if you think of C Club as a network that is really harnessing the social capital of a growing number of awesome contributors and, and token holders, you know, some of the value that get, emerges from that is this ability to get deal flow and to have insights on the market and to feel confident in being able to be a value add to founders that come through our network. The one thing that we didn't have was capital to invest in those teams, especially in the in the early days. And so we sort of ha- had all this these assets, this value, this deal flow, this sort of excitement and, and opportunity, but we weren't in a position to, to invest in that. And the, the early model within C-Club was one where teams were sort of plugging into C-Club DAO and, and there was a token swap exchange there. So we would have exposure to their projects and in return, they would have exposure to ours. And so there's this whole other world of more traditional startup structures that were being built out. And uh, we saw an opportunity to form some capital and, and, and an organization that was structured so it could go invest and, and return capital to its investors. And so C-Club Ventures was born probably close to two years now. Um, it's about a $30 million fund structured as a venture DAO and that there are a number of uh, members who are sourcing and, and sort of voting on deals. Yeah, we've been very active through the bull and through the bear and into the next bull. And I think there's a lot of sort of insights emerging from the two different approaches that we've taken. And I think we'll see those come together at some point in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that C-Club Ventures is approaching VC is really novel because it's bringing together early stage investing with community ownership and like community decision making, which I don't really think these things have like intersected prior to like a crypto context, like previously that would have been kind of impossible. And I feel like this is a little bit similar to what Juicebox does as a protocol, which is enabling capital formation, but in like a community first way and in a way that can be meaningfully decentralized. So I'm curious if you can tell us like a bit more about why C-Cloud Ventures is structured as a DAO and what this enables you to do versus like a more traditional VC fund. Like the honest answer is why it's structured as a DAO is because that was the novel opportunity that was in front of us. And I think it was also very on mission for us, looking at new ways mm. to form capital and thinking that there was an opportunity to tap into a network and, and create more value for our founders because we have, you know, 30, 40, 60 incredible stakeholders in that room as well. I think, you know, we're seeing that sort of category fragment in many ways. There's a bunch of new experiments or or at least sort of ongoing experiments around how do you form capital? How do you deploy capital? How do you support? How do you manage that? How do you deal with the free rider problem that, that exists? And I think it's going to be interesting to see how those sort of morph as the market comes back or as new opportunities emerge. So I think it, it was the most obvious thing for us as structured as a DAO was to launch another DAO. I think the approach we're taking here is that there's a little bit more of a a community management approach here than you might have in just pure, you know, capital formation based DAOs that the work of sort of moving and keeping the gears moving is something that's valuable, somebody driving the heartbeat. And so we've taken a bit more of a active approach there as far as community engagement with our our members. And so I I think that's a big thing, especially as, you know, I think it's very common in crypto for there to be a ton of interest and excitement around a thing early on. And then as that sort of either opportunity dips or as it gets harder. How do you sort of push through into that next wave? So I think we've sort of saw that happening and, and kind of built a, a structure that would allow us to to do that. I think there's still a ton of opportunity in like the, the pure capital formation on-chain groups. I think what Lore's doing and what I guess it's called Party now, Party's doing and 
clearly what you guys are doing at, at Juicebox is a very novel approach as well. And it's sort of interesting infrastructure for folks like me or who have an inspiration or, or an angle on the market in the future to hopefully get access to, to capital in a way that they wouldn't have been before. I mean, I, it is shocking to me to be sitting here to say that part of my job is investing. As somebody who <laughs> two years ago, that path was not even remotely clear. And in fact, I don't think I've really embraced that as a core part of my job until yeah, maybe more recent than, than I should admit. <laughs> but, but I think that's a huge opportunity, right? Where this, there's talent and insight and relationships and access, all these things that kind of go into the factory of a, of a VC fund that I think we can break up and, and make accessible, hopefully through technology to more people. And so I love this idea of just a, a network of networks that are going out, finding great talent, supporting them, bringing capital to bear. And I think the, the world looks a lot different when you have that type of infrastructure around. And we've seen hints of it, I think, so far in, in what people are able to do. But I only expect that to, to get more and more interesting. How do you think Seat Club has evolved over the last couple of years? Like, do you feel like it's changed in terms of like its vision or the way that it operates from going through like the bull and now where we are in like the bear market? It's like the biggest question ever. I mean, yes, it's, <laughs> it's changed drastically. I mean, I think what hasn't changed is our original insight, which is that social and creative capital is, is valuable and, and that tokens will be used to represent that value in, in new and different ways. Even from sort of how I introduced sort of first approach at C-Club, I think is embedded as this idea of like, it's probably better to not think we know what we're doing and rather to sort of be very active and exploring. And so I think there's like a pretty clear mountain that we're trying to climb but we're really finding what the next best path is for us to get there. You know, we've been a, a bigger organization with working groups and voting at, at, at a very sort of small level or, or I guess a detailed level. And we've also gone to a, a, a maybe a less governance intense, smaller team as, as the bear market has kicked in. But I think the the biggest shift has been around, you know, we, we run these cohorts, a big part of those cohorts is this intense learning curve that happens as you bring a bunch of new people with their big visions and, and challenges to the table. And that's allowed us to sort of evolve both how we run our program, whether we call it a program or not, which we don't anymore, the, the types of teams we want to back, the opportunities, and then how we talk about those opportunities. So I think C-Club as a network, and that's sort of the North Star, how we get there is really about targeting the big opportunities that, that are right in front of us. It's really the, the big shift we've made as we've rolled out our consumer crypto accelerator. We saw everybody from VCs to builders talking about how the opportunity was in infrastructure as the bear market kicked off. And, uh, and yet at the same time, we saw incredible builders making strides saying they've never had more, there's never been more users, there's never been more infrastructure. Like there's plenty of tools here for us to go build interesting consumer experiences. So we saw that gap, we had the capital and talent to be able to support it. And I've been very excited about the, the results and coming up to about two weeks away from our event, which is a demo day for Seat Club and uh, really exciting to showcase all these amazing builders uh, on the Thursday, the 28th. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the, the demo day in a little bit. Before that, like just introducing the Consumer Crypto Accelerator. So this is the sixth cohort of early stage projects that you've been working with. And I think what I find most interesting about the consumer crypto angle here is that it is so optimistic. Like if I go on Twitter, I mean, right now, things are particularly uh, <laughs> yeah. dark and bearish, right? So everyone, I, I feel like I've seen the same tweet, like, maybe 10 times at least, where someone will say, crypto has delivered no real value. It has been purely speculative. We have achieved nothing despite all of this money that was raised and all of these teams that have worked for the last, whatever, two years since 2021. 
And I feel like I've heard this over and over again. So this is why I find this accelerator so interesting, because it's kind of the complete opposite point of view from from that bear sentiment, which is like the thesis for this accelerator is really like, we have the technology is here, we can do this right now. And we can build experiences that real people like quote, normal people will use. And we can bring this to the mainstream. So this contrarian thesis, which it shouldn't even be contrarian, but it feels contrarian to say, like, we're going to build consumer crypto experiences. So I'm just curious to hear more about sort of like your conviction in crypto apps reaching mainstream adoption and what this looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I love I love the negative sentiment. Give me more. <laughs> we just we need to like speed run this. We feed off of it. <laughs> I mean, I think I think people, you know, maybe just on the sentiment side, I think there was such a massive influx of new users, new crypto people over the last mm-hmm. two years, most of whom haven't been through the cycles. And so there, there's like a yeah. lack of awareness of kind of where we've come from. And, you know, I've been through two, there are many others who've been two, three, four, five. And I think I have the privilege of spending a lot of time with those people who've been around for a while. And, and there is no doubt on their conviction. It, you know, I think there's a lot of paths that could emerge and maybe they've made the right bets or the wrong bets, but there's no doubt that you know, where we are today is a massive, massive leap over where we were in 2017 and 2018. And the chart probably barely registers in, in 2014, 2015. So I think so much of the sentiment right now is just being driven by people who've just not been here super long and are in that place where they're like, oh, this is dead and it's never coming back and I should go work at McDonald's. And you know, <laughs> maybe maybe you should, but I think, I think the real answer is to, to hang around a little bit more and, and try to be useful. If we go back to 2019 and feeling sort of like the hangover of 2017, 2018, you know, the, the landscape looks so different. There, there was like truly a belief that maybe there isn't anything here. The ICO mania has happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, like Denticoin was a thing that we ran up to a couple hundred million dollars. And it's like, this yeah. does this really make sense? Right. I think if we put ourselves back then and look forward to where we are even today and the, the depths of this bear, we'd be shocked by the amount of attention and interest capital, et cetera, that's sort of uh, come to, to be. So I think I take a view that I think is articulated well in this essay called The Long Nose of Innovation, that these things just take a very long long time to emerge. And most of that innovation or that, that emergence we, happens pre-emergence, right? So the internet's been around for 50, 60 years before there was this big boom of speculative mania that happened at the end of the 1990s. Crypto is just a place where we kind of do all those at the same time, perfect connectivity, the ability to speculate on it from day one. And maybe that advances the innovation curve a little bit. I think it does, but still we need to readjust our, our time horizons. So I think when we're thinking about consumer crypto, we, we sort of looked at okay, where have we come from, where we are today? What have we learned from working with these incredible founders? Is our conviction still true that there's an opportunity to recognize other value than just capital value in, in these networks? And we looked at that, we were seeing like all these signs that these things have come to be true. And so for us, it was very much doesn't feel contrarian. I think it's, I mean, I guess it is compared to the, the market right now. We just sort of saw <laughs> an opportunity where there was a group of builders, a bunch of infrastructure that could allow them to go build stuff and an audience or, or a, a market to go build and sell for. So I think that's the, I mean, the smooth brain attempt was like, there's opportunity and we can go. And I think one thing we've been very good at is sort of rallying interest and attention and kind of turning a thing into a thing and seeding new language that can help us talk about these things and talking honestly about where we have conviction and, you know, in many cases where we, where we don't have conviction. And so, yeah, I think that's where we sort of emerged with crypto. I think the, the question of how do we get crypto to hundreds of millions or billions of users, you know, I think it's something that we've talked about a lot. And, and I think, you know, whether that comes out of this batch or it happens in a year or two, it feels like there's sort of an inevitability that there are these new tools that will break free from the sort of the Web3 walls as they exist and, and into to wider usage. 
but I don't think that's actually necessary. And, and I, I'm almost questioning that as like a, a North Star in any way. I think Wilson Cusack had a, a great tweet a while back that w- was sort of admonishing people for, for focusing so much on trying to bring millions of users in and sort of highlighting the fact that there is a, an incredible demo for us to go after right now, which is highly online, wealthy, or at least with means and technically <laughs> capable users who can kind of use this sort of stuff. And so he's sort of framing it up as like this idea that there is a subculture, there's a niche, this niche is expanding drastically, even if it's contracting right right this moment, and that selling and building things for them is, is the path forward. And I think I sort of hold both those realities or potentials in, in mind. I think being able to build something incredible for people who are here today has a, a still have a massive market potential. And also, I think a lot easier to build for, or at least to iterate towards I think that there's a bigger question around how do we build this thing that kind of brings new users in who don't identify with crypto and, and won't go through the hoops of custody or the risk of sort of interacting mm-hmm. in these, these very target-rich environments where we're usually the target. But I think there's you know interesting approaches there. We've seen a ton of action around stable coins. I think there's reasons to believe that a lot of these sort of DeFi protocols will have much more approachable front ends in the future. Clearly, there's these cases outside of sort of the, the Western developed world that are, are really interesting. And then, of course, you go down the line, you can see a whole bunch of really exciting things that, you know, new artists have been able to do and, and, and create value around over the last couple of years. And then into like the topic du jour of friend tech and blur and the more gnarly crypto economic primitives that are maybe emerging around those. Yeah, we'll get to friend tech. Don't worry. I'm sure we will. Yeah. <laughs> That's like every call. What do you think about friend tech? I have oh, thoughts. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's good. <laughs> I'm practiced. I hope I'm practiced. We'll see. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, why don't we just get into friend tech? Like, <laughs> what are your thoughts on friend tech? I mean, I honestly wasn't sure, like at first, if it was going to stick around, but it's obviously growing every single day. Like, we've even seen like normies joining the platform. Like, there's the esports YouTuber Phase Banks and many OnlyFans content creators, which is like one of the few examples of mainstream crypto adoption that I've seen in like this year. So curious to know your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I love it. So we, we like doing these sort of fun internet toys as Marty from Pool Suite calls them. And we were working on something on a, on a tongue in cheek campaign around this idea of bring back bonding curves. It feels like there was like such a hype around those <laughs> back in the day. And, right. and now they're sort of falling off. We didn't end up doing it, but it would have been timed perfectly because of course, wow. this is sort of like the, the excitement right now. Right. So I think there's there's sort of two ways to look at Frentech. One, I think it's, you know, this repackaging and innovating on these sort of core ideas into a user experience that is very compelling. It's easy to understand, easy to onboard, easy to, to play. And some people happen to make money off of it. Like It's like the trifecta or whatever number I had listed off there of, of what crypto can provide. I think there is still an open question around what sort of scale that network can get to and, and what the enduring product there is. But undoubtedly, it's captured attention and is driving meaningful value. So there's success there. And I think it's notable that this is like the fourth product that has come from that team. And you can start to see the iteration and learning that's happened there, which I think is just super bullish generally. And yeah, being able to see pro-speculation influencers come into these networks, I think is generally a good sign. I think we saw it with NFTs early on. And I think the dynamics within Frentech, I think maybe remove some of like the the more negative outcomes that we saw from, from the, the NFT world. But I think really what we'll look back on Frentech as is sort of this moment when somebody put out a new form factor of what crypto experience could be. And that will lead to series of new experiments kind of based on that. So, you know, the progressive web app is novel, you know, the ability to send notifications. Thank you, Apple. The L2s obviously are essential to this. So it's a very simple thing to bridge into Frentech. 
you know, I'm opening an app and then I'm sending, you know, base ETH to a, to an address. When I land there, it's very easy for me to understand what's going on, even in a very laggy, buggy product for, for the most part. And the bonding curves as sort of like a, a way of kind of incentivizing almost like a smaller community experience, but also driving a ton of value back to the holders, to the traders, and also to the, the creators themselves. So I think there's a, a lot of elegance in what could be seen as a very rough around the, re- the, the edges product. But again, I think this idea of there being these experiences that people kind of bridge into and, and engage in is actually a meaningful departure from what most experiences within crypto are, at least over the last while. And even to today, where you have these different screens that I'm sort of going back and forth between, and it's going to feel like the, the command prompt or, or DOS from, from before, you know, the windows existed, right. Or for the, the operating system, the, the visual operating system, graphical operating system, that's the word we're looking for, uh, emerge. Right. And so right. I think, I think that's it. And, and I think it's just going to lead to a bunch of, of new, interesting things. You know, we're definitely working on some fun things around this as well. To me, this this idea of these apps being the center of the world that I can kind of plug into and it's going to have you know feature parity at least with what my experience in an app would be like, I think is is exciting, and I think we'll see just more of the infrastructure innovations that have been emerging in the last little while sort of be put on the shelf for builders to come back and say, okay, I'm going to remix in this new form factor, and we'll sort of see what comes out. I think the first sort of really big user experience improvement in, towards this that I saw was with what Polymarket did years ago, right, with this idea of like the point of where I I'm transacting on chain is is at the same time I make the decision where I want to go do a thing. So I, I want mm-hmm. to join FriendTech or I want to go and buy some keys for, for Polymarket was I want to go, you know, bet on the 2016 presidential election. And this idea of a user trying to get a job to be done, done and having the friction at, at that point when there's a clear demand for somebody to go do something, I think is it's kind of interesting. And, and then the question is, okay, well, what happens once you have them in your ecosystem and can we emerge new use cases, new, new utility? So I think Frentech, what Zora is doing, and uh, what Base are doing are all really deeply aligned. I think that are gonna, and will drive sort of the next type of user experiences we have in crypto. I don't know if you saw there. There is this OnlyFans content creator that quit Frentech and posted this like very charged dismissal of it as this insider like crypto circle jerk essentially one of my telegram groups shared it and was sort of picking it apart but frentech has this kind of fun it's very fun but then it also has this kind of like dark side to it as well like if you were to explain to someone outside crypto that you can like trade your friends like reputationally like it (laughs) it sounds kind of dystopic in equal parts it has a very complex kind of vibe to it. Like, I feel like it oscillates between both this really dark idea, but also a really fun, almost mirthful money-making enterprise that is bizarre. But like you said, I think it's kind of more of a cue that, okay, maybe not another Uniswap fork. Like, maybe we can try something else and maybe like something else will emerge. We might have enough picks and shovels. We might need some actual like user experiences, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think I am deeply grateful for the builder energy, the capital that's going into infrastructure development. We still have a long ways to go there. For sure. I got such conviction in what we're doing at C-Club for, for SEO6, walking around East Denver and listening to the sixth or seventh ETH perp exchange pitch. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, that, that's yeah. clearly not the thing yeah. that's going to sort of drive the next level of adoption. And, 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 and of course, in that world, there's you know, a ton of really interesting things that I think around account abstraction and the uh, folks at Future Primitive were doing around NFTs and wallets and you know, the cool stuff that Hats Protocol is doing around being able to distribute governance and making it much more approachable. So there's just a ton of, of incredible infrastructure being built. But yeah, I think it's how it gets packaged and promoted. And I mean, I think that the challenge with so much of crypto is that you are in this like weird line, right? Where it it is about money in so many mm-hmm. cases. And in fact, we're representing other things as money 
Right. And the speculation is going to be there. And, and the incentives really will lead to the types of actions that people take in those networks. And often those aren't either thought of beforehand or kind of inevitably lead to being more dystopic than, than I think anybody would like. These mechanisms that turn attention into value are fascinating. And we've seen early experiments with like roll and like mint tokens. You can set up a market on Uniswap and go do what you want with them. You know, remember Whale Shark as a as a community, and <laughs> you know I think they're still bopping around. And then Rally, which is trying to sort of do this as more of a network way and introduce bonding curves, but you know was maybe a little early and and obviously hasn't sort of sustained through and has, has shut down. And then of course NFTs, we're looking at the 10k PFP or we're looking at now. So there's all these really interesting mechanisms for for turning that that attention into value. And I think we are just scratching the surface in those types of things. We are very excited about these new mechanisms as they start to emerge. It's why we're so fascinated with Frentech. You know, certain constraints with new abilities equal different types of outcomes. And I think the fun thing in this space is that it isn't just about writing papers, right? We can go in and, and build and participate in these economies and see what the outcome is. And so it makes me very optimistic that even though I don't think we've got it right right now, that we're doing the right things that will lead to, to those insights moving forward. And I think there's a lot of reason to believe that. Yeah, I mean, go- going back to sort of this, the optimism of this thesis, I'm curious how you've been thinking about in the context of these early stage consumer facing apps and these types of experiences that are targeting a more mainstream audience than crypto currently has. How do you think about the public perception of crypto as it is right now? And, you know, hopefully over time we'll be able to improve this. But right now, because of largely the events of 2022 that were a profound shit show, uh, we, we do have like a public perception problem in which most people do associate crypto with scams. And I think part of this has to do with the regulatory uncertainty. And I do think that the media has played a really subtly nefarious role in this. But setting that aside, I'm just curious how you're thinking about how to convey this bigger conviction about a better internet that is more horizontal, that does capture that value for users rather than platforms. Like these kind of ideas that for me, and I think Briley as well, like pulled us in initially, like the kind of Chris Dixon, read, write, own, like all of those types of mental models that are so strong and fundamental. How do we get over this like bridge right now of generally like the public having a negative perception of crypto? And then like, how do we get over that bridge to then make these kind of mainstream crypto experiences possible? Kind of a difficult question to answer, maybe, but I I just feel like you've probably thought about this a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it starts with recognizing that those opinions, I think, are very well earned and legitimate. You know, when somebody comes into a new space, you sort of are at the outermost circle and that circle is full of bullshit and lies in, in most cases. It's not all full of that. Like there's truth sure. in there, but we make it very difficult because of the speculative nature and the always on connectedness of the internet today to to find the kernels of truth and, and quality amidst the you know number go up. We're all going to get rich and, and get Lambos type of, of, and if you just listen to me, I'll, I'll lead you <laughs> to the way. So I think this is kind of inevitable and, and I, I don't pay it too much mind. Uh, it's very much not the market that we're going after. The real answer is like you just had to go build absurdly useful things for people. And our focus from day one has been to be great curators of values aligned, long-term thinking builders. And our bet here is that over the course of time that we'll be able to not only build the C-Club brand as one that is trusted and, and has good taste and is a source of useful insight but also that we get to help build companies that go on to, to reach millions of users and, and become the example of, of why crypto is a, a worthwhile thing, whatever we end up calling it. Like, some people debate whether we need new language, et cetera. 
what I see is is that there is a, an absolutely infatuated group of users who are all in on crypto. Crypto is a cult if, if you had ever saw one, even though we might not have with, with maybe multiple leaders. And I say that lovingly because uh, I think cults are, are awesome and the good type of cults. And really, I think our opportunity right now is to go build things with them that have the opportunity to break into to new audiences. And I think Frentech is, again, a great example. If there's something meaningful, something interesting, there's, a, there's a, a gravitational pull into that network. And that is already pulling in people that you might not expect to get pulled into a crypto app around buying keys to private rooms on some quasi app. <laughs> so yeah, I think like that's our focus, right? If we think both C-Club and crypto more broadly is going to live and die based on the types of things we build and create and how we build them, we put a lot of care and attention into selecting awesome human beings. You know, we've had around 300 applications to our last batch. We selected 10 teams, which means we said no to a lot of great people as well. And we think that that's just going to compound in benefits. And as the tourist folks leave from investors to, to maybe users, there's a new core, a bigger core of people who are really invested in and interested in this world that we're all building together. And our job is to go build for them so we can go and get the next wave of people hopefully plugged into something that has more long-term sustainability baked in. And I think that's the dance, right? Like it's yet to be seen and I think there's some indications of it, but whether we can go build these networks in a way that that actually rewards the right types of users over the right time frame in a way that doesn't lead to a lot of pure speculation volatility. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if that is possible or not, but I think the end result, which is very possible, is, is that we will be able to do some version of that. I think the question is, how much should we lean into speculation or, or lean away from it? And we're seeing a number of different experiments in market leaning fully into it, trying to take a much longer term view. And I think those are the types of things that we're excited to be a part of and will ultimately lead to new opportunities for new people to get plugged into this and, yeah, start to really, really use this stuff. You know, I think it's been interesting to see all the, the OnlyFans mo- uh, models stepping into Frentech. I think there's we have a, a team in our current batch called MintStars. MintStars is a, an adult content platform that is using crypto rails focused on a specific niche of the adult content world. But, you know, what you see there is like creators are independent contractors or entrepreneurs that are out there building their own brands. They're trying new things. They're finding new tactics and strategies to emerge. And it's not a surprise to me that they'll be jumping onto the next new thing because there's just such alpha in trying new mechanisms. And I think if we look at OnlyFans models as maybe a, a better example of how many of us will work in the future, I think we're seeing that grow as, as a, many of us are probably contractors working in very sort of fluid work dynamics. I think it's likely that that will continue to sort of expand. And, and so I think there's just a lot of people out there trying to figure out what's next. And that's just a huge opportunity for us to give them something that is an inspirational or exciting next thing to try. Totally. Let's talk about Demo Day, or should I say the event? (laughs) I saw a tweet from C-Club the other day that described it as an exotic demonstration of products connecting the dots between themes and actuality, followed by not another copy-paste Demo Day. So maybe we could start with like what the event is and then maybe dive into like what makes it different from like the past Demo Day. We really like to think of ourselves as different. I know I'd maybe push back on the contrarian thesis earlier, but as a as a brand and as a network, we're very excited to be different. And most other VCs and accelerators just give us so much material to work with because of how <laughs> corporate and bland and bleh it is. Yeah. And so we really, I mean, it, we really love pushing into it. And so we we're like, oh, demo day just seems so 
Uh, and so the idea of the event came up. I don't know if it's a better word or not. We're having a lot of fun with it. So people can RSVP to the event and get on the list so they can join the event. And we have a bunch of fun stuff sort of that we'll be doing leading up to it. So people should check that out. You know, if you look at a traditional accelerator, the goal really is to take brand new teams, run them through sort of the machine and then get them ready to go pitch on demo day. And the goal coming out of demo day is to get your, your seed round done and go on and build the next thing. And, and for SaaS products, I think that's a, a wonderful, obviously creates a ton of value by the organizations that are doing it. I think what we see is that, you know, we work with teams, especially in this batch that are everything from new idea starting out and, and we get to work very closely on the formation and, and, and the, the products sort of roll out there for them. And there are others that have been a little further along in their development. So when we sort of think about like, what is an outcome we're trying to drive from demo day, it's, it's definitely not just get investors in a room give them all the data, and hopefully they write checks. We expect some of that to happen, but I think what this is more an opportunity of is to sort of bring our community together in support of these founders. And so, you know, we're, we're targeting a thousand people to be joining us on the 28th for the live stream that we're running. And the goal is to, you know, it's not a thing where you have to be an investor to join. If you are an enthusiast, if you're a builder, if you want to see what's next, this is the place to be. We take a very entertaining lens to it. Uh, this isn't just about pitch, dry questions, here's my deck and, and contact info. We have a whole bunch of other fun stuff planned. And really, we want this to be sort of a, a launch pad for not only maybe some inspiration for, for where this, this space is going, but also to get the first users, first mentors, first community members on board for, for these exciting projects, brands, companies that are being built. It's like a fun Lego box that we get to go play around with. And I think that there's a huge crossover between our audiences and communities. Like if you know about Juicebox, you probably know about C-Club. If you know about C-Club, you probably know about Juicebox. For sure. Kind of done a bunch of fun stuff in the, in the past and around each other. And yeah, I think like the, the true opportunity here really is to be a spark, to bring a distribution point for builders here that hopefully can give them a leg up over the chaos of, of the, the Wild West that is the internet today. All right. Well, the event that is on the 28th of September, correct? Yes, September 28th, I believe at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Show up a bit early if you want to vibe to some music. I think for folks who've maybe been to one of our, our, our demo days in the past, where we actually called a demo day, you get a taste of, of what to experience. We have music, we have fun interactive stuff, and of course you get to have sort of an insight into the future where where these 10 amazing teams are going. The chat, I don't know, were you guys, either of you guys at demo days that you've seen before? Yeah, yeah, I was at so the last year. The gift channel was a little unhinged, right? Like the whole <laughs> thing kind of came at you a little fast. We've got a new live stream platform. We're working with Pleaser House folks on on sort of creating a bit more of an integrated experience. So oh, sweet. I, don't know, I, I think like, you know, as, as a builder, so I still think I identify more as a builder than an investor. As a builder, I think it can be really challenging in a market like this to hold both like the big vision where we're going and, and, and have conviction in that. And then also to figure out what the right next thing to do is. And I think in many ways that right next thing to do is like the obvious thing that's right in front of you. And so I am just feel very privileged to be in a place and for C-Club to be in a place where we have a lot of really great opportunities in front of us and the ability to kind of run at those things in a new and, and hopefully creative way. Some will succeed, some will fail, but I think the act of, of sort of running at those things and, and having fun with them is, is key. So that's really what the event is for us. It's like a, a drop where we get to go and kind of experiment with some new things and just happens to be that there's a, we believe a pretty high likelihood that you'll see a, one of the next breakout consumer crypto apps sort of in its infancy emerge on that day. All right. Well, as we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about or any closing thoughts that you that you want to share? There are a lot of people exploring their conviction right now. 
And as I said before, I've been very lucky to have people in and around my world who have been here, done that for many more years than I have. And the sort of the steady lads meme is kind of both a meme and also legit good advice. And so for folks that are, you know, I'm assuming most people listening to this, if you're listening to it in the, in the depths of a bear, you're either so far in and like, this is obviously going to be a thing that, that this advice might not be useful for you, but there's probably some people who are sitting there going, really? Like, do I have conviction? <laughs> and so I want to be that voice of reason for you today that there are bright days ahead. I don't know what they'll look like. I don't know what day of the week they'll fall on or what month or what year. The thing that I did, that was the smartest thing I did in 2019 and 2020 was that I didn't leave. I did whatever I could to still have a foot. Well, it was all my feet still in, in the market <laughs> or in, in, the, in the crypto world. So yeah, I think the joy of bear markets is the noise goes away. The builders start to emerge. The new things start to be interesting again, start to look not like copycats of everything else, but start to become some novel experiences. And I think the most exciting sort of future is, is that next phase when we start to see things like friend tech, but more of them start to emerge and where we can be really early users and, and hopefully maybe speculate on a little bit with our time and attention and you know get to be early on this thing that is still so very early. So I'll have deep conviction in, in what we're building towards. And I think the scale of this opportunity is even hard to to fathom right now. I mean, maybe especially right now. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Jess. Uh, well, I just want to say I appreciate your optimism and like the good vibes because, you know, crypto Twitter is fucking dark fuck, right now. Fuck crypto you know? Twitter, man. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah, I love like I, the energy that you're putting out there. It's good. Maybe actually, I don't know if I've really reflected on how generally optimistic I am. It's probably something to take greater stock of. I mean, I think it's really hard to be pessimistic when you just see brilliant human beings with an insight and every mm -hmm. single week they come back with progress and new insight. Like how, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. how do you not yeah. get super jazzed on that? Like it's, it's, I always describe C club as feeling like I, I was in a dream and I woke up, woke up in my dream, riding a horse that was just galloping through a field. And my only <laughs> job was to make sure it doesn't hit a tree or run into a ditch or something. <laughs> and so it feels like the the biggest gift ever to have this opportunity to be able to work with brilliant people, to, to be useful, you know, to, to see the value that we're creating. I think that's been the thing that's really blown me away around this batch where we had teams that were, you know, in many cases, later stage than would be for a traditional accelerator, maybe have raised a pre-seed round before, have other investors in the world, but just seem like the default is literally, here's money, go figure it out. And that's just not helpful for anybody. And so I think C-Club being able to be a really hands-on partner with with these folks that are building in this really weird, obscured niche that is not going to be a niche forever. Yeah, it's just really exciting. So my conviction comes from backtesting my conviction data rigorously and then adding a little bit of just general predisposition to being stoked on the future. I mean, there's like a negative belief around tech generally out there in the world. There's a negative belief around the economy. Like we're not the only mm. ones sort of dealing with this. And I think if you totally take a step back and you think about I mean, what do we have AI, crypto, we've got a whole new platform coming out from Apple. Like there's just a lot of interesting things that are going to emerge in the next little while that I think have the potential to be put to a really good use. So I was trying to figure out if I could talk myself out of being optimistic, but I can't. So here we are. <laughs> no, we, we don't want to. We don't want to talk about it at all. I know, but I feel, like, I feel yeah. like I don't want to be. It's, it's, I always. Like, I don't think you're naively optimistic. Like that's definitely not like what we're saying. I think it's more just like, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's a reminder and affirmation that there are good things. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Like there are good things worth staying in crypto for and to stay here and build or try and yeah. be a part of it. I think the opportunities to make that stuff happen.
I mean, that's the, the core opportunity here. It's like, do you have the internet? Okay, you can be useful <laughs> to building out this world, which is, it's such a small thing and it is kind of mm. tongue in cheek, but that has not been the reality for a very, very long time. You know, there was these, these moments in time where that was more of a reality than not. I think we'll just start to see that start to compound in, in pretty big ways. The first doublings don't really look like much, but the later doublings, let's go. Yeah, things are going to accelerate fast for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jess, for taking the time to, you know, dive into the history of Seek Club and how it's evolved and where it's heading next. We've been following Seek Club for a while now, so it was really fun for us to learn both about Seek Club, but also a bit more about you. So thank you so much. Well, we are, are big fans of, of Juice Box. I think it's, uh, I always describe it as like a run at the purest way of trying to form capital and distribute value. I'm just really interested to see what sort of emerges from a bunch of the learnings and, and experience that you have there building. And uh, yeah, no doubt in my mind on on-chain capital formation is going to be a big, big theme into the future. And yeah, stoked that you have such smart people that are, are working towards figuring out the details of how to go do that well. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of really interesting experiments that start to emerge over the next uh, few months and the next year. So yeah, definitely stay tuned. Mm-hmm.